Hey everybody, what you are about to listen to is an episode of Am I Dying? Here at Offscript, we've taken the Am I Dying show, put a twist on it, and created the new Is It Serious podcast with Dr. Mark Lewis and Dr. Jean-Luc Neptune. Think of it this way. The Am I Dying docs discuss lots of symptoms, while the Is It Serious docs answer lots of questions. And all of the episodes are here on this feed for your listening pleasure. For new episodes, don't forget to subscribe, and thanks for listening. Mark, do you see him for your exceptionally large amount of gas, or is there some other? <laughs> I actually don't really have uh, many stomach symptoms. You just like the company? You're willing to pay the copay to hang out with your friend? He's such a great doctor. That $40 is just worth it to learn something. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Dr. Chris Kelly. And I'm Dr. Mark Eisenberg. And we are here to answer the age-old question, am I dying? Hi, welcome everyone. Uh, Thanks for joining us at Am I Dying Podcast. We're here with the outstanding Dr. Benjamin Lebwall, who is a uh, professor at Columbia University in New York, and also my doctor. He's a doctor of gastroenterology, which is the stomach and the bowel. Uh, Anyway, welcome, Ben. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. Um, so I think that uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking a bit about colon cancer and colon cancer screening. Is that right, Mark? Well, Dr. Lebwald makes the decisions. Is that what you want to talk about, Dr. Lebwald? I'd be very happy to talk about such an important topic. Now, I guess I'll start. What happens when you have a patient asking, like Mark does, for a colonoscopy every three months? Is that excessive? It's five months, every five months. <laughs> yeah, we try to maybe not do it quite that often. And in all seriousness, there, there is this uh, notion that uh, our, our recommended interval just seemed too far apart. I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, uh, colonoscopy every 10 years is a standard recommendation for a so-called average risk person. 10 years does feel like a long time, but that's related to how protective colonoscopy and effective colonoscopy is. Let's start with just talking about why one does a colonoscopy, period, in somebody who's not having any symptoms. Um, I, I think most people understand that the goal is to somehow reduce colon cancer, but maybe we should just make it very clear why exactly that's an effective strategy. Sure. So colon cancer um, is a common form of cancer. It's one of the most common ones uh, and a potentially serious cancer. It's one of the top causes of cancer-related death. And it's so common, one's lifetime risk is approximately 5%. So one in 20 people may get it. Wow. Um, For that reason, uh, we, uh, for years, have been studying and trying to establish screening programs. You know, to set up a, a program where you take someone who's perfectly fine, has zero symptoms, and you medicalize them, you make them a patient, and you have them do tests, that has to be a high bar, but colon cancer meets that bar. It's common enough, and it's now been shown, it is preventable. Well, I guess why don't we talk about um, when people should start getting colonoscopies? That's the big thing lately. It used to be, first of all, if you ever have symptoms and we can go over what symptoms, you should get see your gastroenterologist and she or he could decide if you need one then. But for people feeling great, it used to be screening was at 50, right? Unless you had a family history, but now that's been changed to 45? Yeah, this is a, a moving target right now. Um, for years, the starting age at screening for colon cancer for average risk people, in other words, people who don't have high risk features because of a family history or people who don't have um, symptoms that would warrant a colonoscopy at a younger age, has been 50. But recently, 
uh, several organizations that put out recommendations for when to start screening have modified that. And they're now saying, consider starting earlier, 45. Regardless of the age, whether it's 50, which is certainly uh, appropriate, and increasingly people are saying 45 is something to consider at a starting age, this is a, a time where you, one would get screened even if you feel perfectly fine. <laughs> the reason to start screening at an age, whether it's 45 or 50, um, is that colon cancer is a slow-growing process, and we know in general how that happens. Small polyps uh, can grow in the colon, um, and these are like these small balls, and the great majority of them don't cause any problem, but a, a minority of them can grow slowly, typically over the course of 10 years, into cancer. And if those polyps are identified during that 10-year period and removed, then that cancer has been prevented. And so that's the idea of doing a colonoscopy every 10 years. So you're looking, you're identifying polyps, and you don't know what polyp necessarily was going to turn into cancer, but you take out any polyp you see, and that should reduce your risk of colon cancer. And indeed, the risk of colon cancer is reduced after colonoscopy, and actually rates of colon cancer in people 50 and older have actually declined in the last couple of decades in the United States because of widespread screening. Now, the, among people younger than 50, rates are not declining. In fact, they're increasing. And that, in part, has spurred this movement to start screening at a younger age, such as 45. Well, we had the death recently of Chadwick Boseman, right? Black Panther uh, actor from colon cancer, and that was very upsetting, obviously, to a lot of people who have been following his acting career. And I think really just underscores that young people can get it. I think, I mean, I think he was in his 40s. When you see somebody, you know, in their early 40s like him, do you assume that there is some underlying genetic issue or do people just have really bad luck at a young age sometimes? We don't always know what the genetic issue is. There are people without any family history of colon cancer who tragically develop colon cancer at, at a young age before we traditionally screen for it. And then again, the younger the age at which someone develops colon cancer, the more likely, if you test for a genetic susceptibility or you do a family history, the more likely you will find something there. But yeah, there are people who unfortunately will, will develop this without any known predisposing risk factors. And, and, you know, Chadwick Boseman's death was a wake-up call. And, you know, by all accounts, he seemed like a remarkable person, just a good person in addition to being, um, you know, a successful, famous movie star. And so it, it underscored the, the fact that colon cancer is not only a condition that affects people over the age of 50. He would not necessarily have benefited from these new recommendations to start at age 45, but it is possible um, that there are people who, whose life could be saved if we start screening people at that younger cutoff. And that's the rationale for starting screening a little bit earlier. So most people are afraid of a colonoscopy, and I can tell you I don't really know why. I mean, obviously, nobody likes to have any types of procedures, even blood drawers. But colonoscopies, why don't we talk about what the whole thing entails? Um, one of my teachers in medical school said there are plenty of people in the cemetery who are too busy to get a colonoscopy. So people die from colon cancer. It could be very, very serious. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to talk about what a colonoscopy is and to sort of destigmatize and demystify it. Another expression people say is you don't want to die of embarrassment, right? I do that every time Mark and I hang out. 
<laughs> you and me both, Chris. So funny. But uh, yeah, let me walk you through it. Um, and actually, things have changed in recent years that have made the process uh, of getting this done much smoother. Many people will tell you that the most difficult aspect of the colonoscopy is the preparation. Because in order to examine the colon, the the colon has to be properly cleaned or cleansed. That involves taking a medicine that will wash out your colon. In other words, give you a lot of diarrhea. Diarrhea in this context is a feature, not a bug. It's the intended effect, right? You need to clean out the colon to make it examinable. Um, but fortunately, advances in bowel preparation research, and yes, that is a field, and I'm involved Exciting. in that field, um, <laughs> have led to the prep being more effective and more tolerable. First of all, there is an increasing number of studies that suggest that you don't need to fast the day before your colonoscopy. And in fact, on my pre-colonoscopy instructions, I allow my patients to eat solid food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with some restrictions. So you cannot eat corn, for example. You can use your imagination on why that might be a problem, <laughs> right? Um, and there are certain other things that, that will show up in, in a colon if you eat it the day before your colonoscopy. Seeds, nuts, um, a lot of healthy things actually. But in fact, a bland or low residue solid food diet, white bread, chicken, I let people eat all that stuff the day before their colonoscopy. Now that has not permeated to the whole gastroenterology community. Uh, individual instructions will vary, but if you're getting a colonoscopy, ask your doc if they're okay with a low residue diet. I certainly am. So that's one major advance. The other advance is that we no longer have people take the whole preparation the night before their procedure. That used to be the standard. You'd have a only clear liquids, things like Jello the day before, and then you have this gallon of liquid uh, at like six o'clock in the evening, and then you know bombs away, right? You just spend the night um, having diarrhea. It's not really what we do. So first of all, we have this low residue diet, so you can have a you know solid food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can't you have um, vanilla ice cream? You could have vanilla ice cream for dinner, right? Yes, yes, you can. Um, you know, at least at least in my instructions, that's perfectly fine. Uh, and then what you do is you don't take the whole prep then at night. You split it in half. You take half of it then, and then you have some diarrhea, and then you watch some Netflix, you stay in, then you go to sleep, and then you wake up early the next morning, the day of your procedure, and then you have the second half of the preparation. Uh, and then you have some more diarrhea, and then you come in and have the procedure. This is called splitting the prep. Not only does it make the prep more tolerable, um, but it actually dramatically increases the quality of the cleanliness of the colon. And that's because even when you're fasting, even if you're not eating anything, like overnight uh, when you're asleep, your body is always secreting uh, fluid to some degree into your bowels. And that fluid can coat the, your colon. And so but by taking that second half of the preparation that morning of your procedure, it's sort of like the Drano that you're, or the, the, you know, running the faucet 20 minutes after you first use the Drano. It's washing through you much more quickly and it's giving your colon that great sheen that then allows the colonoscopy to examine really thoroughly. It's been shown again and again that people who split the preparation like that have a lot more polyps detected. So that in turn makes colonoscopy a more effective 
uh, procedure because the more polyps, the more precancerous polyps or adenomas we can detect, the more likely we've protected you from colon cancer. It sounds inspiring, quite frankly. <laughs> um, I should walk you through what the colonoscopy actually entails. You know, the, the prep is is generally the, the part that people think about the most and, and yeah. perhaps dread the most. Colonoscopy itself, basically you're taking a nap. How long should people expect to be there for their colonoscopy? You know, that, that depends a little bit more on the specific suites uh, sort of uh, throughput process in terms of when you come in, when you get registered, et cetera. The procedure itself is 25, 30 minutes long on average. That can vary depending on how long or twisty a colon is. It could also vary in how many polyps someone has, but that's the average uh, duration of time. You know, and then afterwards you wake up and you might take another 30 minutes or so to wake up, you have your snack and then, and then you leave. You know, I don't do colonoscopies, but as a cardiologist, I do a lot of TEE, which involves putting a, uh, you know, tube down somebody's throat into their esophagus. And it's funny because people always fret about it uh, so much beforehand, but at the end they're like, eh, that was it. I barely felt a thing. And I'm like, what are you, my college girlfriend saying something like that to me? College girlfriend, you're right. But it's, it's true. Like most people, the anxiety is way worse than the actual thing. I would assume that a colonoscopy is pretty similar, having not had one myself. Yeah, absolutely. So, Did you notice Chris said college girlfriend? He didn't have more than one during those four years. But anyway, I think we have to take a break. We're here with Dr. Ben Lebwall, who's our star gastroenterologist, who's talking about colonoscopies and when you should be screened. We'll be back in a few minutes. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com welcome back everyone we're here with dr benjamin lebwall who is not only my doctor actually everyone in my family's doctor but a top gastroenterologist uh and professor at columbia university uh we're talking about colonoscopy screening and uh we're going to start off now with why don't we actually get into details about what happens during a colonoscopy? They lie at a table, take it from here. Sure. Uh, so during the colonoscopy itself, the patient is lying on his or her left side on a stretcher and um, is gets anesthetized with uh, a medicine that's put in an intravenous line, an IV. Um, and so typically these patients are either totally asleep or they're in a so-called twilight where they are nicely sedated and, and uh, mellow. Um, maybe half awake. That will vary depending on the setting that you're in. Um, but you're breathing on your own. This is not general anesthesia that you would have during major abdominal surgery, for example. And so 
While you're asleep, the person doing the colonoscopy inserts the scope, which is a long, flexible tube with a camera, and inserts that scope into the rectum, and then goes forward, pushes this scope all the way to the top of the colon called the cecum, which is on the right lower part of the abdomen. That's where the appendix sticks out, and is then inspecting the wall of the colon. And so it's really important that the colonoscopy involves inspecting the whole colon. So the cecum is reached, it's complete. And then there, a careful inspection is done using a nice slow withdrawal technique where you're examining every nook and cranny, behind every, looking behind every fold, looking for that hidden polyp that might be small or subtle. The great majority of polyps, if identified, can be removed right then and there during the procedure. And, you know, it's very common to have polyps. Um, among people who are getting screened for colon cancer age 50 or older or age 45 and older, it's not unusual for uh, perhaps even a third of such people to have at least one polyp. Not all of these polyps are necessarily um, the kind that are precancerous, but that's the thing. We don't know what their potential is until we take them out entirely and have them examined under the microscope. So as I said, the great majority can be removed usually by uh, like a pincer, like what's called a biopsy forceps, just pinching it off, sometimes using a metal wire called a snare, sort of slicing it off. Again, even if the patient were wide awake, they wouldn't feel pain because we don't have pain receptors in our, in our bowels. We have sensation where we could potentially feel distension from gas, so gas cramps. We might be uncomfortable if we were awake during a colonoscopy while the um, person pushing the scope might be stretching things because we have stretch receptors outside our colon. But we don't feel pain when there's any cutting. And so these polyps are removed painlessly uh, and then sent in a small jar for the pathologist to examine under the microscope. At the end of the procedure, after that withdrawal is complete, uh, the anesthesia wears off. And typically within minutes, the patient is waking up most commonly, the patient will say, I can't believe we're done. I feel like I just got here and I didn't feel a thing. That's the most common thing we feel, we, we hear. Some patients will say, I feel a little bit of gas. Um, and so uh, after passing the gas, they, they feel fine. True pain or, or real discomfort after colonoscopy is really rare. And we make sure that uh, people are feeling perfectly fine uh, before they leave uh, at the end of their colonoscopy. We will give them a snack before they leave because they've been fasting since early in the morning. And then we tell them they can eat and drink as they like. Because they've had anesthesia, we tell them to avoid alcohol that day. And we tell them, uh, we advise them to avoid driving uh. that day. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I was going to tell you that Chris is going to sign up for a colonoscopy because he wants the free snack. Now, now that he won't be able to have a beer afterwards, he's probably not going to do it till he's like 50 instead of 45. I'll tell you, people love the snack. You know, it's because they're fasting. So when you're fasting and then you, you take like a little graham cracker and juice, it's like the most delicious thing in the world. <laughs> and and uh, it's like when you're camping, you know, whenever you're, if you're, if you've ever gone camping, the food is just delicious, right? Because you're exerting yourself, you're miserable, you're outside, you're in nature. I'm, I know I'm acting like this is all like a, a negative thing, but for me it is. The, you know, you, you eat and you're like, oh, this is the best. Mark, is that why you made me skip uh, breakfast and lunch before that one time that you cooked me dinner? <laughs> anyway, yeah, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell that arsenic taste. Hey, um, so all these commercials like Cologuard and stuff on TV. So people want to do that instead of a colonoscopy. What are your thoughts about that? Well, they are, you know, real alternatives to colonoscopy. Uh, they have been tested in validated studies. 
to detect colon cancer and in some cases advanced or large precancerous polyps. So Cologuard is one such uh, test. That's a send-in test. So you actually mail a bowel movement uh, into the company and they- Could you imagine sending that to the wrong person? Like Exactly. <laughs> Make sure that you have the right address because that's not something that we're accustomed to doing is putting our bowel movements in the mail. You haven't met Chris. Yeah. I mean, according to hopefully soon to be former President Trump, that's what a lot of people just did. <laughs> Wait, so, but no, but this isn't really a good alternative. I'm under the well, no, it, things it, like no. that are it's too late by the time things are detected. Well, here's here's the thing. So first, it's certainly better than not getting tested at all. And you know, there are settings, there are parts of the country where there's just not enough people who do colonoscopy where you have to triage, frankly. Screening like this is a legitimate form of screening. It's likely not gonna detect as many cancers as a full colon high quality colonoscopy will, but it's in many settings, it's easier, right? You don't have to come in, you don't miss a day of work. And if it does show an abnormality and what uh, that send out stool test uh, that you mentioned, what it's testing for are genetic mutations in the cells of the colon that will make their way into the stool. If it shows an abnormality, then you go on um, and you have a colonoscopy. So it's a good way to do what we call in medicine risk stratification. So if you have a large population of people and you know that, that only a small number are going to have large precancerous polyps or cancer, how do you enrich and figure out what group within that large population uh, is the highest yield for doing a colonoscopy? So Cologuard or annual uh, stool tests for blood, uh, there are these kits that you can do. That's a good um, that's a good alternative. But so, we don't want we don't want people to have a false sense of security. I mean, the real recommendation you would say is get a colonoscopy at the age of forty five or fifty, and then every ten years if it's negative, and if you have polyps every three to five years, depending on what your doctor says, right? I mean, none of these other things should really replace a colonoscopy at the patient level. I can understand at the society level. Well, my my bias as a gastroenterologist really is that colonoscopy is the best test. But I, I have to say, um, if you look at guidelines, uh, such as the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, that's like a blue ribbon panel. You know, they're the ones who really make the major recommendations. They say you should get screened for colon cancer. There are a number of ways to screen for colon cancer, including annual tests for blood in the stool, um, that Cologuard test, which would be every three years, colonoscopy, and then a few others. And the best test is the one that gets done. And they recommend this because this is a national recommendation, um, and they recognize that not every population has access to colonoscopy. But the truth is, Mark, I can't show you a randomized trial that compares colonoscopy to those other methods and shows that colonoscopy is more effective. I believe in my heart of hearts, it is more effective. I think colonoscopy is the best test, but it really is a belief. Mm -hmm. But you wonder if maybe different populations like at 35 or age 40, before you would normally get a colonoscopy if you did one of these other tests, or like for older people above the age of 75, where maybe there's a risk of the procedure, but... That may very well be the future. You know, we started this talk by, by discussing the uh, tragic, untimely death of Chadwick Boseman. And, you know, how are we going to help people who are younger than a certain screening cutoff? You know, there are people even in their 30s who develop colon cancer. It's rare. And it's unlikely that it would make sense that we would do screening colonoscopy on everyone at such a young age. 
But maybe in the future, we would do these non-invasive tests at a young age, at least a one-time test. And that would at least identify people at high risk who would then go on to get a colonoscopy before the standard cutoff of uh, 45. Well, I feel like I should go get one now. Speaking of which, if, if people do want to sort of be more aggressive about uh, getting screened, what is the insurance coverage generally like these days? Is it possible, you know, if somebody considers themselves high risk to go at 44 or 43, or is it really uh, just within the guidelines what's going to get paid for? Typically, it's these national guidelines that dictate what insurance will uh, reimburse for. And traditionally, that had been 50, but more and more insurance plans are now uh, okay with age 45. Um, one of the major national guidelines that US uh, Preventive Services Task Force, they put out um, that recommendation about starting at age 45. Right now it's a draft recommendation, but I anticipate that it will be finalized um, later, uh, you know, within a, a matter of months. And once that happens, I think all um, insurers will, will reimburse it starting at age 45. To get a colonoscopy younger than 45, it needs to be justified um, because that really is uh, going outside guidelines. But there are many reasons why uh, it would be justified. Someone seeing rectal bleeding, for example, um, that, warrant, that can warrant a colonoscopy in many cases. Um, iron deficiency anemia, a change in the bowel habits or narrowing of stool caliber, something like that. There are many reasons one could get a colonoscopy outside of those screening guidelines. Right. Um, and typically, as long as it's justified, it would be paid for. Well, I think this has been just an incredibly useful review. Uh, it's a very important topic and really grateful to you for your expertise and your time. Mark, any closing thoughts or any questions that you want to ask the good doctor before we let him go back to his life? No. So should I sign up? I, I think I'm due for a colonoscopy now in like eight years. Uh, should I call tomorrow morning to schedule it? I'd like it early in the morning. No, actually, this has been great, Ben. Uh, for everybody who's with us, we're with Dr. Benjamin Lebwall, who I believe to be the top GI doctor in this country. Uh, thanks for joining us, Ben. That's a very kind hyperbolic words, Mark. Thanks very much. <laughs> If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Am I Dying is a production of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. Am I Dying is recorded, mixed, and edited by Ariel Nachman. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments and feedback. For more information, visit offscript.com. 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 Offscript.